Welcome to Those Hard Conversations, a platform dedicated to discussing solutions to the issues facing our most vulnerable and marginalized communities. We use a harm reduction approach to explore practical strategies for positive change in communities facing undeniable challenges. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to those hard conversations. I'm Elvis Rosado. And I'm Clayton Rooley. So, um, the other day, we were sitting at a at a pub, and um, and we witnessed something. And I, I was a little bit uh dis- disturbed by it because um, you know, not, only a couple of blocks away from well, more than a couple, but I would say about five six blocks I- easily from where we are, where we work. Um. We witnessed somebody who appeared to be not only homeless, but probably in distress, some mental health issues, kick a garbage bag and break it into the middle of the street. And within minutes, two police cars came. And not only did they make her pick up the trash, you know, that she kicked out into the street and pick it all up and put it in a pile. They also took her. You know, and... It was something that for me, <clears throat> uh, I, I don't know, well, it bothered me it, it, to the core, even the fact that the people that were sitting in the restaurant, some people were laughing at her because I don't, I don't, think, I don't see anything funny about laughing at somebody with mental health issues. But um, I just found it interesting how quickly the police came and responded to somebody kicking a trash bag and... In the same context, that morning, there was an accident outside my house where some guy hit these women, ran into these women's car, and then took off. And it took almost two hours, two and a half hours before anybody showed up to even take a report. You know, and I don't know. I mean, Clayton, you and I, we've we've experienced this before, the disparity as far as not only response time, but the lack of... of it seems like in nicer neighborhoods, you get serve and protect, and in poorer neighborhoods, you get what did you do? You know, right? So yeah, I mean, I, this was a, a a person of color. Um, you know, I, I couldn't distinguish whether it was a he or she, so we say it's it was a they at the very you know least. Um, or the very best, you know, uh, words don't always go great, but, uh, basically it was a person of color that we saw, um, look like they were, uh, Asian of some type. Um, and, uh, you know, the cops, you know, rolled up on the scene, you know, uh, with a paddy wagon and a police car. Um, they stopped traffic. This was right on the corner. Um, and they made the person, you know, do a really poor attempt of cleaning up what they uh, picked up. And then I will say that the person didn't have cuffs on when they entered the car, but um, didn't seem like they were also uh, saying you could just walk away either. Or so um, yeah. it, it seemed very, 
odd that there was this much attention for something like this, knowing that, as you said, five to 10 blocks north, um, there's a lot of people who um, drop things on the ground or kick things over. Um, but the emphasis is not there on the policing level. And even if it was for the community level, um, it doesn't seem like it's uh, reciprocated uh, by, you know, police um, showing up in a timely fashion. It's just like another, oh, you know, they're, you know, what do you expect? This is the neighborhood you're in. Um, so I think yeah. there's a lack of accountability when it comes to being even handed um, with how we, you know, police, um, but also like how we care for our community. Um, you know, I think the expectations on, you know, overall cleanup uh, in certain communities are a lot different depending on certain communities. Mind you, you know, Gerard Avenue, uh, where this was, uh, has definitely become a major, you know, business corridor. Um, and this was, and I want to say the Northern Liberty slash Fishtowny area. Um, and I know that there's a different p- police district there. There's actually one a couple of blocks down the street on Gerard Avenue. Um, so I think expectations are different as far as community. And I think policing is different um, in the communities. Um, and this is where, you know, we see a lot of mistrust uh, in communities because I think folks want even handedness and they want, you know, equity, um, equality when it comes to, you know, the response that they get. And there's a lot of like, you know, what what do you want me to do, you know, or, you know, what do you expect when you have certain, you know, I think dimensions to some neighborhoods and with other neighborhoods, you know, they, they turned that into it was, you know, like the person, you know, stole and beat up somebody to have that many cops. It was probably, I want to say four to six police officers um, that were watching this person clean up and, you know, yeah. put them in the back of the squad car. Um, and, and, you know, it, it just, I think was eye opening to, you know, myself and you obviously, because, you know, even when they were being harsh, they were still a lot more gentle than if, you know, it was something, uh, I guess, higher in concern, um, but in a certain neighborhood to our mind. Yeah. And, and it's, and it's, I mean, we, we see it sometimes, um, unfortunately, um, when they're moving people, people who are camped out, as we say, you know, who have a tent on the sidewalk, who are sleeping on a sidewalk, a lot of times get a more aggressive, uh, response than, than, you know, than this. But for me, like I said, I, I just found it interesting how quick they got there the fact that they made the person clean up as much as they could, what they, the mess they made, you know, where, you know, in, 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 in the neighborhoods that we work and in the neighborhoods that we live, unfortunately, you know, there isn't the same level of service, you know, or response. And I just, I just, it was really, um, it really bothered me because um, I was like, just to just to think that um, you know, I remember my car, my well, not my car now, the van that I had before got broken into, 
And I called and I was told, we don't come out for break-ins anymore. We just take a report over the phone. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> but uh, but they'll come out for somebody kicking a trash bag. You know, and that's and that's that's the 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 level of of um just the, the the thing that I don't understand, not the level of, but the thing that I don't understand is how do you prioritize these situations and why do you prioritize these situations in certain neighborhoods but not in others? Because um I think if we had the same level of response across the city, regardless of neighborhood. I think things would probably be a lot easier and a lot better for everybody, you know, if they were all treated equal. But like I said earlier, it just seems like in certain neighborhoods, um, it's serve and protect, and in other neighborhoods is, um, what is it, detain and 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 arrest? Arrest. Yeah. You know? I mean, I think it speaks to a larger you know, set of inequalities uh, or, or lack of equity that we have throughout the city. I mean, obviously, certain neighborhoods have things that come with those certain neighborhoods. And I think police districts are giving the authority and autonomy to make certain things higher of an issue as compared to other things. Like, I don't think in Center City, if people were sitting on the ground, that police wouldn't be able to move them a lot easier than they do on Kensington Avenue. I don't think yeah. in and and you know the middle of you know South Philly or or West Philly for that instance, if there was a whole gathering of people on a major artery street and everyone was shooting up, that they would take the lax idea um, that they typically have been doing uh, in, in in Kensington. Um, I think certain, you know, municipalities, not municipalities, I mean, larger level, you could say municipalities, you could say government, whatever. But I think, you know, different um, police districts have prioritized that certain things are, you know, more uh, high profile and therefore need to be paid more attention to than in yeah. other neighborhoods. Um I think that, you know, one of the major issues that we have overall in the city of Philadelphia is the disparity between what's had in certain neighborhoods and what isn't had in certain neighborhoods. Um, I mean, you can certainly tell by the lack of, you know, for something as simple as, you know, trash cans, um, you know, community, you know, cleanup, uh, you know, engines, whether that's, you know, actually paid for by, uh, a smaller group or uh, whether it's city-based, um, obviously lack of access to things like, you know, uh, places to get, you know, sustainable food, uh, you know, so basically like food deserts in some neighborhoods compared to other neighborhoods, um, you know, cops on the ground, um, uh, resources in neighborhoods, uh, you know, these are all things that you would definitely think are lacking. And then it's not also what is lacking. It's also what people have abundance of in certain neighborhoods. So it's like quick fix, you know, food stores. It's, uh, you know, places that, you know, uh, push poison um, to its community. Um, it's a lot of uh, vacant uh, properties that don't seem to get 
opened up and have thriving businesses, which lead to people feeling like they can, you know, do what they want to do because no one's going to hold them accountable for it. Um, so, I mean, this instance is definitely one that's eye-opening because of the time that it took to, you know, get the police to respond. But I'm sure in that neighborhood, they're probably twiddling their thumbs more often than they do uh, in a place like Kensington um, yeah. because of what's been set up uh, in their neighborhood as, I think, uh, safe, you know, uh, places or safe uh, precautions that have been uh, taken already. And, you know, I don't mind that, you know, the people, the police were responsive to that happening um, in the speed that they were. Um, I mean, I, I think it's kind of ridiculous and could lead to someone getting hurt, particularly if they're black or brown, by calling up the police for something like that. But if the person's having a clear mental health break, um, you should want to get people who could help the person uh, as soon as possible. Um, my issue is, is that it's not equal uh, in other places of the city for the same type of episode, um, which can make a lot of people not feel safe, uh, which makes people not want to, you know, depend on and trust those people that are supposed to come out and help because they never feel like they come out at, you know, a, a time that that's just, um, yeah. you know, I think we want to get to a point where, um, you know, not just police, but, you know, more social, you know, service providers can be on the ground in a more preventative fashion and less in a reactive fashion. Uh, and it seems like a lot of times, particularly when you're talking about police who may or may not be trained to actually respond to what they're being asked to respond to, um, you know, a lot of times they're coming uh, after it's already hit the fan, you know, so they're being very reactive. Uh, now something has happened. And a lot of times it means that particularly if they're not trained uh, properly to deal with that specific crisis or, or a situation, um, it leads to folks going overboard trying to solve something. Whereas, you know, if we have things in place to be preventative, um, you know, that doesn't happen as often. So it takes a little bit of I think, you know, setting up things preventively where folks know, you know, let's say like if this person is having an episode or someone, you know, needs help, this is what you can call. It also takes having structures like, uh, let's say in Philly, they started doing like an AR2 program, which is basically placing um, like a social worker of a sort with like EMTs to respond to situations uh, instead of it just being like a medical personal person, it's actually someone who's trained to be, you know, a resource, you know, giver and, and more of a talker, um, you know, basically doing social work alongside the EMTs, like more structures around, you know, building capacity around those type of services and less around, um, always having police respond is going to be really helpful, but you know, it's also like if you require folks to have like trash cans, you know, um, or su supply trash cans for folks in this case, uh, maybe the trash doesn't get kicked out and busted open as easily as it was to, you know? Yeah. 
And I mean, I, I, I and I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I think it, it also, you know, brings us to to the conversation also that, um, because this is this is at a at a lower level. Trash cans is harm reduction. You know, right? It it, it keeps the neighborhood looking better, and um, if it's looking better, people feel better, people act better, and people treat each other better. Uh so, I mean, on the, on the, in because we we've we already know there's been there's been a a a there's been statements made recently on at different levels where they say that um, harm reduction has failed or harm reduction doesn't work, and I think what what for starters I think what people need to understand is that. Harm reduction is not designed to be a cure. Harm reduction is just what it says. It is it is actions and behaviors that are um, that are applied to reduce the harm until people can change or until a, a solution can be administered. You know, um, it's a set of practical public health strategies designed to reduce negative consequences. And promote healthier communities, not yeah. perfect communities, not uh, communities of perfection in health, but healthier communities, um, particularly with people who, uh, in the case of who we work with, uh, use drugs, uh, possibly engage in sex work. Um, I always add people living in poverty because I think it's definitely, you know, a, a tie in, all, all tie in. Um, yeah. But it's around not necessarily stopping those activities because there's a host of reasons why people gravitate towards those activities, many of them which are outside of themselves. Um, you know, when we talk about disparities in communities, if you have one community where you never have to fear, um, you know, about, you know, being stuck up on the corner or being beat up um, and, and, and robbed or, you know, you know, you can go to school safely. Um, you know, you didn't have, you know, abusive people in your lives. Um, there's a great chance you're going to turn out in a lot better space than someone who has to deal with all of that uh, on a daily basis or has a re really bad streak of a lot of these issues coming into play. Um, so racism, class, social isolation, uh, sexually based discrimination, uh, trauma, all these things play into why people do certain activities. And, you know, I would say that abstinence only model really hasn't worked um, at all. Um, yeah. So, you know, for those who say harm reduction doesn't work, let's question what about harm reduction don't you feel has worked? Um, because if it's about reducing harms, um, particularly with the work that, you know, we do and other you know, individuals who care about those people uh, do. Um, you're trying to stop the spread of disease, um, particularly yeah. around HIV and hepatitis. Um, you're trying to keep people um, away from, you know, bacterial infections, which can lose the, you know, people's ability for using their limbs or losing their limbs in total, um, which we've definitely seen when left untreated. Um, you're trying to be a beacon 
of resources for folks who oftentimes because of lack of connectivity with people um because of their you know activities to make themselves well at least in their own mind i mean trying to be that that lighthouse where folks can come to and receive a a, a host of services um to me that's all wins it's about keeping people alive until they're ready to, you know, saving people's lives until they're ready to save their own lives or keeping people healthy until they're willing or ready to make a change or find it. Because what, what I think what people don't realize is that, you know, there's this, there's this belief that if there wasn't any services available, people would have an oh shit moment and just all of a sudden, you know, stop using drugs or stop their behaviors. And, and, you know, people, they don't understand that there is a bigger picture. There is something that is happening within this person that is, that is, has led them regardless because people started at, they started all different levels. There's many different reasons why people use drugs, why people drink alcohol, why people, why people are in the situations that they're in, you know, but they all end up eventually in almost in the same place. And we have to look at the bigger picture that there is a a need to give these individuals emotional and you know emotional support, mental health support, um, physical support, in order for them to change. You can't just get up. The Nancy Reagan just say no. It doesn't work. You know, not ignoring people doesn't work. You know, you can't just ignore people and think if you ignore them, they'll go away. It doesn't happen that way. And, you know, I, I, I don't think that people realize that harm reduction, as much as they say it doesn't work, it depends on what, from what aspect they're looking at it, like you said. You know, some people, they don't care about the human being. They care about the fact that money is being redirected to give these individuals services. And they don't realize that, for instance, syringe exchange in the city has saved has saved the city billions of dollars. That would have probably, if if people had not had access to clean equipment, um, would have gotten HIV, would have gotten hepatitis, would have gotten endocarditis, would have probably lost limbs. And you can't deny people medical care, so that money would have been redirected to provide medical services. And, and financial services to these individuals who can't work because they got these debilitating diseases and, and whatnot. And it would have depleted the nonsense out of other resources for other projects and programs throughout the city. And people don't realize, you know, if you don't want to look at it from a, from a humanistic standpoint and actually give a crap about a human, then look at it. If you're worried about money, then you need to look at the fact that we would be even even worse poverty-wise had it not been for harm reduction. Now, you know, when you look at it from a humanistic standpoint, everybody deserves, you know, clean water. Everybody deserves food. Everybody deserves a place to lay their head. Everybody deserves, you know, medical care. Regardless, they're people. And unfortunately, you know, we have a part of the society or part of the communities that are like, that think that these individuals are not 
human or not human enough to deserve some compassion, some kindness, and and just some some basic everyday needs. You know, to think that you don't you you you're against not you, but if people in general are <laughs> against giving somebody who's homeless a bathroom, access to a bathroom. They don't deserve a bathroom and clean water to bathe. I mean, how, how do you how do you come to that conclusion that you you get to live in a house and you want you want your neighborhood cleaned, but these individuals don't deserve access to clean water and somewhere to lay their head? Yeah, it's deplorable. It's deplorable what we're seeing right now in the city. Um, and, you know, I'm sure other cities around the country, um, I think, you know, we have been desensitized to the fact that we have human beings, you know, without many realistic options for them uh, to, you know, be in some place, even for temporary shelter, let alone permanent housing. Um, I think that the same folks who have gotten um, used to being a victim, like, you know, being the the judge, jury and executioner with other people's lives, you know, unbeknownst to to them, um, the same folks that want to complain in meetings around what they're not getting aren't trying to give the folks that we typically are working with the same type of decency and respect. Um, I think it's similar to why a lot of folks enjoy or feel like they have to like watch the news and hear about everything bad that's happening because it makes them feel like their circumstances aren't as bad or that they are justified in um, living in the cloud of, you know, negativity, or unproductiveness or callous, um, I'm out for self. I'm going to do what I want, need to do for me and mine because, you know, you are going to be a victim if you try to extend yourself and be helpful to others and care about others because look what just happened in the news today um, or look what just happened in the newspaper today. Um, or I listen to, you know, my favorite, you know, music person, and this is what they say do, knowing that there's fantasy and reality in all the circumstances that we deal with. Um, you know, when we talk about harm reduction, um, you know, it's definitely based around at the baseline safety. Um, it's understanding that folks have been and will continue to as long as things are the way they are right now, um, where there's a lot of inequity uh, and inequality and all the you know other issues I mentioned, always gravitate towards trying to get away mentally and sometimes physically from what they're going through. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's a death sentence. It doesn't mean it has to be a death sentence uh, doing those. Do they come with consequences? Yes. But we know that these consequences can be avoided by doing simple things to be preventative. We know that it costs more money to actually, you know, house people or to, you know, leave people on the streets uh, than it does to actually give folks temporary shelter and permanent housing. Why are we continuing to leave people on the streets? What other neighborhood, what other area of the city do you see a large swath of people 
being allowed to, you know, raise tents um, and, 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 you know, do, uh, you know, whatever they want to do on the streets. You're blaming the individuals uh, for that. You know, the outside community or the community that, you know, is in some of these neighborhoods, they want to blame the individuals. Uh, I blame the people who are supposed to be in power and supposed to be helping all people. Um, and it takes actually holding those folks accountable for allowing, you know, what's happening in places like, you know, Kensington, South Philadelphia from happening, knowing damn well they would never let that happen in other neighborhoods. Oh, but we don't have, you know, that much money. Well, if you have money to hire cleaning teams and you have money to, you know, do skating rinks in Center City and you have money to, you know, help spruce up 30th Street Station, then you're telling me you don't have money to, you know, build something that's going to get a lot of these folks off the street. You're always going to have people who aren't going to want to do something because they don't feel like they can fit in an indoor environment. You're always going to have folks who are rogue. It's not about, you know, trying to get 100% of anyone. It's trying to get a large amount of folks who would take this option if it were offered that opportunity. So, you know, folks think that organizations that we work with and work around enable people by giving them access to supplies and resources and not treating them like monsters. I would say the biggest enablers that we're dealing with right now are people in the city who wanna do what has not worked ever and continue to do that in the name of their own morality and because they don't want to shake, you know, the walnut off of the tree, for a lack of a better term. They don't want to have those hard conversations and they don't want to say, hey, everyone's a human being. They deserve to get treated well, just like you do. We cannot allow them to be on the streets. We cannot allow folks to not have access to this. And we're willing to do whatever it takes to make this a more equal um, city. You know, we want Kensington to be just as marketable as, you know, uh, you know, Fishtown. We want Kensington to be just as marketable as Port uh, Point Breeze is. We want Kensington to be just as marketable as, you know, uh, 40th and Market, uh, you know, area is. We have to do these things. We're going to do a little bit more for this area to get this area up to par. And if that includes making sure that people are off the streets, and, and you know, moving up even more than that—that's what we'll do. And that's and that's you know, that's what 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 gets me because, you know, think about the fact that if you if you provided decent services, if you provided housing, um, drug and alcohol treatment, um, medical care to individuals. You could you could make you could impact the population of individuals that's out there, and a good majority of them wouldn't be there anymore. You know because also keep in mind that you have individuals out there that are out there because of their active addiction, because they're active they're active drug use, and if they had access if they have if they had decent like decent access to care. They would probably go home because some of them have families. So, you know, everybody that's out there homeless right now doesn't mean that they don't have somewhere that they could go. There are some people who have somewhere to go. They just can't go there 
because of their active drug use. And, you know, we already know, I mean, this is no, no, no epiphany for us. That getting into treatment is not as easy as, it, as, it's, as it's presented. You know, the issues with IDs, even though some people can get into, into treatment without IDs, depending on where they go and, and, you know, and how they access it. But just because you show up doesn't mean you're going to get a bed. Just because you show up doesn't mean you're going to get in. You know, um, once you get so, in, you know, doesn't mean that the treatment's going to be what you need at that time. Yeah, it it's doesn't mean that it's going to be effective. You know, it, it's something that, and I had this conversation the other day, you know, where I was telling people, you know, in the 80s, in the 80s, it, you, you, detox was 30 days minimum. You know, inpatient treatment was six to nine months. And if, and if you needed more, you would do a year. And then when you came out of inpatient, you got a year of outpatient. You know, now you're lucky if you get if you get seven days in detox. It takes roughly 15 days at minimum, 15 days for you to get opiates out of your system. You know, in some cases, um, depending on what you were using, 15, 20 days later, you could have another, you could go into withdrawal again and have and have a, a, a an episode of of withdrawal and now in in 30 days they want you to detox stop using and they want to climb in your head and and deal with your demons and if you got some if you have someone who's not stable whether physically or emotionally you know you you now have somebody who's on the streets who's a hot mess because not only do they have nowhere to go you started to tap into those demons and now you put them out on the street. And in order for that, for you to quiet that, 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 that madness, in order for you to quiet those demons, you're going to have to use, you know, and it's just, people don't realize that, you know, they, I don't know if they don't realize it because you can't tell me that you go to, that you go to school and you get a degree, you get a master's to do, to be a therapist. And you don't, you don't understand the concept that you can't tap into somebody's demons at the same time that you're trying to get them to stop using drugs. You just can't. You know, you have to get somebody chemically stable first and and get a get them ready and then start to prepare them and say okay, now we're going to we're going to touch on this on this topic. We're going to we're going to start to address these issues. But you also anybody with any common sense or any decency would also realize that before you start to tap into those demons you also have to make sure that this person has some stability in their life, that when they leave their session, they have somebody who's going to be there to support them. They have a, a, a foundation somewhere or something in place that's going to support them and help them. You know, and instead it's like, yeah, how are you doing today? So let's talk about this horrible thing that happened in your life. Oh, your hour is up. Bye. I'll see you next week. Okay. Take care of wow. yourself. And it's like you out the door now with all these thoughts on all this pain that just got stirred up, you know, and you're like, what the, am I going to do now? Where am I going to go? I don't want to have to deal with this. I don't want to have to think about this. So guess what? I'm going to go get twisted so that I don't have to think about these things. You know, and, 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 and this is just, I mean, common sense. It's just common sense. But we live in a society where 
people are more uh, uh, more interested in the paycheck that comes in through the door. And, and keep this in mind, you know, keep this in mind because the community that we serve, where these individuals live, let's say Kensington, you know, you have programs there. You have clinics there. You have pharmacies there. You have medical clinics there. You have people who actually make money off of seeing these individuals. And in the same, in the same um, breath, they're also condemning these individuals for being out there. You have no problem taking their prescription and filling their, their, their meds, whether they're legit or not. You know, you have no problem seeing them and taking their insurance card when they come in through the door to see you. But in the same breath, you, you, you stand there and you say, I want these people gone. I don't want them here. Look how horrible they're living. You ain't got no problem taking their money when they come into the yeah. store to buy a bag of chips or the 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 wraps or the little fucking ro- sorry the rose stems to smoke crack you ain't got no problem with that but you got a problem once they hit the uh, the, the concrete outside again you don't want them there you don't want to put them in any sort of housing so they can get their startup and in all likelihood still use you know a lot of the community resources what little there are of them to help them. You could have vibrant community members who are on a road to, and I say this for you know outsiders, on the road to recovery that you ascribe that you want everyone to be a part of. But instead, because you enable people um, through lack of action and lack of compassion and lack of understanding, um, you only compound it. You know, giving yeah. people less is not going to promote them getting more. It's going to just make them, you know, go for desperation and desperation, particularly when you're actively using or you actively, you know, need some type of income to support your using or to support your family might put you out on the avenue, uh, you know, doing sex work a little bit longer. It certainly will have you trying to get from one high to the next high. Um, But, you know, I think you brought up some really good points, uh, A, which is, um, the difference between trying to get in treatment and the length of treatment, uh, you know, now compared to when you came up, which I think definitely speaks to insurance companies and insurance companies, um, as well as facilities, not doing what's right by people and being allowed to, uh, basically control the narrative of what treatment should look like instead of, um, having, you know, it be based on individuals, uh, and what their specific needs are. Um, and then I also think, you know, you spoke about uh, basically um, people who are supposed to be providers of service and their willingness to um, not just go uh, and get a paycheck, but go above and beyond to help people, to have um, the right discussions, to deal with someone uh, when they're at their absolute, you know, worse, when they're not feeling good, um, you know, because all their demons are coming out because they're feeling dope sick and not do the easy thing, which is, you know, I'm going to kick you out the program or I'm going to make you work extra harder. Um, you know, I, I hear and see this way too many times where folks are actually trying to do, you know, what you know they want to do. Uh, after a long time of just being out there, 
and they are made to go to, you know, an assessment center or they finally get assessed and they go into a program and then you find out, mind you, there's always two you know, sides of a coin. So, you know, as someone that provides services, I know I could get talked about, you know, just like anyone else can. But, you know, certain agencies, um, certain people with mentalities when it comes into this work, it's like if you don't want to be here, then don't work here. You know, like if you don't want to deal with folks who are, you know, dealing with mental health, dealing with uh, substance use disorder, um, dealing with poverty, de- dealing with homelessness. Um, if you can't extend yourself and not get upset because someone cursed you out, not get upset because someone, you know, threw a piece of food at you, uh, not get upset uh, because, you know, they, you know, came a little bit later than you, you know, would have liked them to, or they're forcing you to stay a little bit longer than, than, than you want to. Um, then really question, are you passionate about the people that you claim you want to serve? Um, you know, there should be no one, you know, working in a shelter, working in a drug and alcohol treatment facility, uh, working at an assessment center, um, working in harm reduction, um, who is coming in with this mentality that, you know, I'm from the streets just like these folks are. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I hate these people. You know, they're not going to do this to me. Um, because, you know, the only people that you're hurting um, first off, you're hurting yourself because you're not investing in something that you're getting paid for. But you're also, you know, mainly hurting, hurting the people that you are supposed to be serving. I mean, I would say the same thing with, you know, police officers and, you know, doctors. I mean, I think passion is one of the most important things that you can have doing what you do. Um, yeah. And I hear way too many stories uh, about folks who have just basically given up. Um, you know, with compassion and passion for what they do. And now it's just a nine to five. If it's just a nine to five, please check out. You're doing a disservice to, you know, the, the profession that you're working and to the people that you're actually, you know, working with. Yeah, um, go work at Starbucks. It's <laughs> Right. Don't do a thinking person's job. Don't do a job where it's around helping people may, maybe save, you know, making them a sandwich. And even there, like, you know, you could always be a little bit nicer. Um, you know, it's not always that, you know, you can't have, you know, um, days of, of, you know, feeling a certain way. We're all human beings. Um, but you know, it's either folks who are really passionate, um, and go, you know, through the wall. And then we have a good amount of folks that just seem like, you know, it was the only job that they could get, get yourself to a place where, you know, you got your year in, you know, you, you, you build up your resume a little bit and then move to someplace else that's less aggressive and, and less, you know, uh, hostile and get the help that you need. You reminded me, you reminded me of the, the client that, uh, the participant that, um, and this is a prime example of, of the nonsense trying to get into treatment. So the dude walks from, he doesn't have tokens. He doesn't have transportation. I made him an appointment with a methadone clinic that's on, on um, Broad and Erie. So from Kensington and Cambria to Broad and Erie, that's a good hike. That's at least maybe 15, 20 blocks. For somebody who is dope sick, 
who's using and, and feels like crap to walk 20 blocks to get to try to get help. That's a huge effort. So his appointment was for 830 in the morning. He gets there 10 minutes late and the woman says, you're late. I'm not going to see you. So he calls me. You know, he's like, Mr. You know, um, they don't want to take me. They don't want to see me. So I asked him to put the woman on. And the woman said to me, he was 10 minutes late. And I go, you do understand that he walked from Kensington and Cambria to Broad and Erie. And she said, well, tell him next time to start walking earlier so he can get here on time. I'm not going to see him. And it's like totally dismissed the fact that this man wants treatment so bad that he was willing to walk 20 blocks to get it. And because he was 10 minutes late because he didn't have transportation. And this is this is the, the, the crap that people have to deal with because, you know, you have individuals who provide services to this population who think that these people should have it together and should be organized and should know better and you should be on time. And it's like, if they had it together, they wouldn't need you. They wouldn't need your services. They wouldn't need any of us if they had it together. But you're expecting rational decisions and you're expecting rational behavior and, and, and timely behavior and act like you got some sense from somebody who is literally struggling to stay alive, you know, because of the, 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 the stuff they're going through. And that to me is like, it, 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 it dumbf- I mean, I'm dumbfounded sometimes when I hear people talk about, well, they should know better. Well, they don't. That's why they're here. You know, this is, this is why they're struggling. This is why they need our help. This is why they need guidance. This is why they need counseling. This is why they need treatment and they need to see a therapist. And they need, because they've lost their, their foundation. They've lost their ability to live a, 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 a normal life because they can't handle the stuff that's happening. You know, some people are like, oh, well, you know, we can't house everybody. There's plenty of people out there that have a paycheck. They have an income. They just can't afford to save up enough money to put a first, you know, the security deposit and first and second month rent and and whatnot. If you get them a place, if you help them to get stable, they can pay for the rent as long as it's a reasonable rate. They just need the help to get, you know, to get there. But I don't understand why this is such a difficult concept for people who are supposed to be helping us to understand, you know, you have people at the city level, you have people at church levels, you have per- people at community levels who don't understand that, you know, if I fell and I can't get up until you reach out your hand and help me, I'm not going to be able to get up. It's like the little old lady on the commercial. I've fallen and I can't get up. She's not going to be able to get up until somebody picks her up. The people that we serve Some of them literally need somebody to reach out and grab that hand and say, let me help you to get off your feet and get started. You know, and and everybody's like, yeah, I'm not doing that. You need to leave. You need to get up and move, but I'm not doing that. I'm not helping you. Well, then how do you expect them to to get up? How do you expect them to, to make a change if you are not willing, from your standpoint, where you have the power and the ability to help, you're unwilling to help them. But this is, you know, like we say, 
those hard conversations that just make too much damn sense. You know, people hear it and they go, yeah, you know, I mean, I, I'm going to, I'm going to share something and I'm going to keep names out for, for, for obvious reasons. But, um, one of my coworkers was having a conversation with some people from a street cleaning level who said, and I quote, maybe if we treat them like people and treat them like humans, maybe they'll be willing to do something different. And he was telling me, he said, I was, he was dumbfounded because it was like, this is what we've been saying all along. You're just realizing this concept that if we treat them like people, treat them like people, right? Which to me is like, they are people. But you're thinking maybe if we treat them like people, and I'm thinking, so you've never seen them as people. Because if you have to, if you, if those words literally come out of your face, if we treat them like people, you obviously have not seen them as human beings. I was telling my coworker, I said, and you know, that's the problem. That is one of the problems that we have. And that is that they don't see people. They don't see human beings. They see the behavior and they see the lifestyle of the person who's living on the street. They can't see past that. They can't see past the dirt that's on somebody's body or on their face to see the person and the soul that's actually there. They just see the, 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 the hot mess. That's it. And that's why, you know, they treat people the way they do. They say, they say that people are living like animals and they are continuing to allow people to do animal like things have to, you know, pick up, you know, food out of a trash can or, or look, for things off of the ground because they don't have anything when we have the power to demand. We have the power to demand that we want more, not just for us, but for everybody. Um, you know, it, it's funny. I saw a tweet the other day, like Jeff Bezos is going to the moon, you know, tomorrow. Thanks, and yeah. I just saw someone uh, picking up, picking up food out of a trash can today. Like yeah. what world do we live in where it's acceptable to have the poverty that we have in this country while at the same time lauding some or two guys, uh, Branson, Richard Branson from yeah. Virgin fame and Jeff Bezos of Amazon as they're trying to do a trip, you know, to the moon or, or you know, pilot their, you know, uh, initial spacecraft technology like they don't get taxed enough. They don't get taxed enough. Yes, they employ a lot of people. Um, not all of them are very happy with, you know, how they get employed or what they have um, as far as benefits for being employed. But they literally could take this billions of dollars. And I'm sure they probably, you know, even combined for this one effort to go on Spacehead and make, you know, major, you know, changes in cities all across the country and across the world. So. It's like we have to get out of the mentality where, uh, A, it's a us versus them. Um, but, you know, certainly like, you know, it's a it's a problem with individuals who have that much dough and feel like that's the best thing they can do for society is help themselves, knowing everything that's going on in this world. It's another thing to have government that allows folks to give, you know, have that and do a few, you know, charity things 
to that they can easily write off because they you know know how to work the tax code and that's acceptable when you know we're living in a country which has clear divide between those who have and those who you know don't have at all and i'll say like this you know as we close about you know harm reduction i'm going to actually quote the man himself uh elvis um i just you know went to his page and you know uh, I think this is pretty poignant and fitting to close out the show. Uh, on July 16th, um, Elvis wrote, harm reduction is not about you. Harm reduction is, is a set of practical strategies and ideas aimed at reducing ne- negative consequences with drug use and other risk-filled behaviors. Harm reduction is also a movement for social justice built on the belief in and respect for the rights of people who use drugs and have risk-filled behaviors. It's about us stepping up outside of our comfort zone and into that of someone whose life is much more in need of, in parentheses, too many things to write than ours is. And so if you think your needs are more important than the population you we serve, you are in the wrong line of work. Let me repeat. So if you think your needs are more important than the population we serve, you're in the wrong line of work. It's not about you. We thank you for your service, but your wants and needs to make your job or work easier comes at the expense of the lives of the community we fight for and serve every day. Because if you feel that way, you need what you need is way more important than what they need. Yeah, you're in the long, wrong line of work open up a coffee shop. And that is, that is it. That's what it's about. So somebody in that same context said to me, the harm reduction theory enables addicts, keeps them sick. And, and the, is the core of the, the core of the theory is acceptance and legalization of drugs. And look at Kensington and Allegheny full of tents, needles, trash, and the dying. That is the result of your of this theory. And I said to this person, I said, and doing nothing is a death sentence. I hear this thought process all the time, but never a, a move towards providing a better option. So many naysayers, so many, so many naysayers, it's easy to to uh, to, so, to so many naysayers, it's easy to say that harm reduction is the reason for the problem in Kensington. But the but through harm reduction, we fought and got HIV clinics, access to Hep Secure, testing and treatment for people. And in 10 years, roughly had 5,000 treatment slots. Now, in, five years ago, we have 5,000 treatment slots. I mean, 10 years ago, we have 5,000 treatment slots. Today, we have over 17,000 with about 75,000 injection drug users in Philly. That's the injection drug use, that, that is injection drug use harm reduction. And through preventing and slowing down of disease related to drug use behaviors, saves the city $250 million a year. If we do nothing, all those folks would need medical treatment and would deplete financial resources because you can't deny people health care. I respect your opinion whether I agree with you or not. But I do want to say that doing nothing is not an option. So if you, and I told her, if you think, if you have a better solution and, you know, 
show me what works. And you, you have something that shows me that works and has results and, and saves lives and, and reduce and is better than harm reduction. I will support you. Let's apply it. Please open. I'm open to options. Oh, by the way, locking people up is not a solution. But anyway, thanks for your, for sharing your thoughts and listening to mine. You know, and you're right. You know, as we close, people need to realize you may say harm reduction doesn't work from your from your perspective. We respect that. But if you have a better solution, if you have something that actually works, that has been put into practice, that actually works, we're all for it. I'm, I'll be the first one out there with you. But saying do nothing because I don't like what you're doing and just let them die is not an option. Locking them up is not an option. And doing what we're doing now, moving them from one corner to the next and like they're cattle and put them down the street in Kensington and Somerset for a while until people get tired of them down there and then shoo them back up to Kensington and Allegheny until people get tired. It's not working. We've had what? When when was the encampment cleared out, Clayton? Five years ago? Yeah, 2017. Yeah. So since since 2017, we've been ushering these people back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Your your that has not worked. Something has to give. Something has to happen. Somebody has to actually give a shit. I'm Elvis Rosado. I'm Clayton Rooley. And these are those hard conversations, aka THC. Just want to thank Anthony Sergi for our production and uh, you know, thank everyone for listening and we'll see you next time on those hard conversations. Peace. Stay safe. Thanks for listening to THC. Follow us on Facebook at Those Hard Conversations or visit our website at thosehardconversations.com. <laughs>